welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning, brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. We start a little rough this morning. No opening segment. There's an emergency somewhere, and apparently a pipe in Trevor's building. I don't know. I don't know what the story is. Regardless, we have a very excellent guest to start the program off this morning, Ted Filipakos. Professor at NYU, author of On Level Terms, 10 Legal Battles That Tested and Shaped Soccer in the Modern Era, which you can pre-order on Amazon right now. And a man who also serves as a player agent is on the line. Hey, Ted, how are you? I'm doing well, Jay. What's going on? Uh, you know, we're, uh, <laughs> like I said, it's Wednesday, which I, I guess means it's all downhill from here. So hopefully it gets a little bit better. But I'm very happy to have you on the line. And the discussion today is in light of everything that's happened recently with the MLS and their CBA negotiations and, and a lot of talk about, about labor negotiations and labor relations at the top level of American soccer. You have come out, um, and been outspoken about a plan to perhaps unionize down a couple of levels at the USL, uh, level, which we know USL's, uh, striving for that second division status. Uh, we'll see if they get there. But in the meantime, uh, the unionization of the players there. Explain to me why you believe that's necessary and why the time to do so is now. Um, all right, it's a good question. Um, both are good questions and important questions. Um, why I think it's necessary, I mean, I think through my representation work, I was able to see firsthand for a while that um, th- there's basically no uniform standard of employment across the league um it doesn't take a lot of involvement in the league to start seeing that the standard of employment can vary pretty wildly from club to club to club and then from talking to players you hear um you know certain concerns certain ideas that might be able to you know improve their lives a little bit and the solution to that in my eyes is to organize to form a body that would represent the voice of the players and to, you know, have, um, have them be able to express, um, what's important to them to the league. Um, why it's important right now, um, I mean, this is a critical moment for, for the USL. Um, they've talked about in, in recent months, um, you know, this plan Destination 2020 that they've, um, been calling it where, they could conceivably expand to up to 40 clubs in the next five years. Mm-hmm. Um, they're looking at having all those clubs be in control of their own stadium in the next five years, to be profitable in the next five years. So they're clearly moving into this new era. And to me, it's just, I feel like the players just need a seat at the table. I think they should be participants in the development of the league rather than just observers. Now, obviously in MLS, one of the... Uh one of the elements that dictates sort of how those things go and whether or not single entity, which is is not a USL concept, uh, but certainly holds water at the MLS level. One of the, one of the things that, that dictates how these things go is that the players can, can jump to a different league, maybe leave the country. They have options outside of, of MLS, which may not be true for an NFL player or an NBA player. Uh, at the USL level, how does that upward mobility, whether it's uh, MLS or some other league or, or, or moving out of the country, how does that affect how the players you know what what level of input the players might have into uh, into their working conditions um obviously this is a, a very young league and in a way it's sort of um despite the pretty solid quality of the league and improving in a way it's a transition league because i think most guys will openly tell you that you know, they, they love to, you know, perform really well in the league and, and end up in MLS at some point. And that's fine. There's, there's no reason not to encourage that. I, I think what you might be suggesting is, um, you know, to the extent that maybe a player feels like he's only going to be in the USL for so long. Right. Um, would he be super motivated to participate in a unionization effort? Um, yeah, it's a good question, I guess, but we haven't. I've, I've been talking to dozens of players and, uh, that hasn't doesn't seem to be too big of a concern to us right now. We we haven't really gotten that kind of pushback. Um, I think I, I think we've established contact with a lot of senior guys who have been around for a while who have been able to 
you know, explain to the younger players why this is important. Mm-hmm. And for each individual player, it doesn't require a, a, tr- a tremendous amount of effort to, to, you know, sign an authorization card and say, you know, yeah, this, this body should be formed. And I think even the younger guys realize that even if I just chip in a little bit, it might improve, you know, standard of employment, standard of living, not just for lots of guys across the league right now, but, you know, for everybody else who's, you know, to follow. Is there a chance for USL players to, you know, to come together and show some unity and maybe set the table for future USL players? I mean, certainly the MLS players have talked about how this may not be about them right now, especially the veterans who've been in the league for 10 years, but it definitely will benefit the players who are coming in. I think we're seeing that sentiment. I mean, We've been at this since mid-January. Um, when I first uh, I first started talking with Tyler Ruthven, um, who he was at the Red Bulls for a little bit. He's playing in Arizona right now. Um, really thoughtful kid. We had you know similar ideas, and um, and we started to move forward and and talking to different guys in the league. So at this point, we've established contact with uh, near with a player, a group of players at nearly every single club. Um, we have a couple of the MLS-operated clubs um, missing only because they haven't really filled out rosters yet, and then maybe one or two other clubs. But so, so, so we've been talking to almost the entire league, and we've basically had overwhelming support from the players. Um, so I think what we're seeing is, yeah, to to a, uh, a significant uh, extent, we're talking about guys who want to be involved not just to improve their own situation at present, but I think they all, I think there's a great degree of solidarity in there. And I think they realize that this is, this league in particular is is an important part of the American soccer landscape moving forward. I mean, if this goes up to 40 clubs, they're going to have, I mean, more, more, more players than maybe even MLS and NASL combined. So I think they realize this is an important moment and, and maybe we can, you know, firm up this league and make it an attractive place to play for American soccer players for a long time. How does the... Not that it's not that attractive right now. I, right. I don't want to put it in that context. Sure, but sure. I, do I think we can make some improvements? Absolutely. There's some dual purposes, perhaps. How how does the MLS relationship with USL and, and the number of MLS-operated clubs uh, and, and players who, um, some of whom are going to be on USL contracts at those clubs, some of whom will, will not be, as far as I understand, will be on loan. How does that impact exactly how this comes together, if anything? Uh, we don't really see it as a complicating factor. I mean, basically, if you're, if you're on an, a USL contract, if you're a USL player, if you're a USL employee, um, whether you're playing for an MLS-operated club or one of the independent clubs, you would be, um, you, the terms and conditions of employment would apply to you no matter where you're playing. Um, so I, I think the only complication could conceivably come in, and that complication is even the wrong word, but maybe an, a player who's on an MLS contract is coming in on loan. That's the only category of player that might have a slightly different relationship with the union and with the CBA. But otherwise, if, if you're, on a USL contract, it shouldn't matter if you're playing for, you know, Arizona United or Sounders too. Right. Uh, when you when you take your uh, set when you assess the situation at, at the USL level, and look, the NASL doesn't have a players' union either. Uh, what is the the future of labor relations in American soccer? I mean, clearly a lot of focus on MLS, and rightfully so. They have, they do have complicating factors, most notably the the way that that business is run. But in in a broad scope, is labor relations going to be a, a driving factor in the way that that American soccer continues to grow? Because it's been, it seems like we finally reached a point where where now the discussions between labor and management are having a, a serious impact on the way that things are going to happen in the future. I mean, it's always been that way in sports. It's been that way since the. 50s and 60s with the, you know, traditional leagues in the United States, and I think we're only seeing, um, it, you know, labor history develop in soccer because you know we're the youngest sport. Um, but this kind of stuff is fundamental to professional sports. So, you know, um, we've seen NLS um, already develop a pretty significant bargaining history now, and they're going to continue to move forward. 
I think both sides made a pretty good deal right now, and they'll and they'll continue to work on it in five years. And assuming that, in in our case, that our momentum continues and we continue to build support in the league, we certainly expect that we're going to actually become certified at some point this year. And then we'll have an opportunity to, as I said, um, it's all about just giving the players a voice and opening a dialogue with the league. Uh, the league knows what we're doing. Um, and uh, and I, I guess I should emphasize also that, you know, I don't want what we're doing to be conditioned by the recent MLS labor deal. And, you know, it got heated for a little while and there was mm-hmm. sort of a work stoppage. And we're not approaching this in, in, in sort of an inherently adversarial position at all. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we're the main goal right now, and this was mentioned actually in Stephen Goff's piece uh, yesterday, is simply to organize a body that's going to be in place in the future and basically give players a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. So as the league moves into this new era, they're represented. That's, that's really... That's really the main goal right now. And and as far I mean, it's mentioned in Goff's piece. By the way, you can go check that out. Soccer Insider, the Washington Post. Stephen Goff with a write up about uh, the effort to unionize at the USL level with Ted and others involved. Um, it, it's mentioned that when re, when when attempting to reach USL for comment, they did not. They they were declined to comment um, without without saying anything directly. Are you able to give us a sense of of what the USL reaction has been? Um. I, I can't give you that sense. I, I'm not quite sure myself. Okay. Um, I, as a courtesy, gave them some advance notice and let them know that that Stephen was going to publish a report uh, on the effort. I didn't want them to be caught off guard or alarmed. Um, I did my best effort to assure them that, um, you know, everything I just spoke about, it, actually in, in Stephen's piece, I said specifically that, while our group, at least right now, we're, we're not in a place where we've established, you know, bargaining priorities or anything like that, because we're a few steps away from that. We we would need to elect union representatives, and ultimately, the, ultimately, the players are going to decide what's important to them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for now, we advocate, as I've kind of been, you know, talking about um, in this whole chat, we advocate a position that's reason that you know, reasonable dialogue, reasonable bargaining that is not going to disrupt the development of the league that's not in our interest on anybody's interest. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, tr- I've tried to express that to the league. You know, could some owners here and there be a little bit, you know, upset that maybe this is going on and maybe they just automatically assume like, you know, geez, my labor costs are going to go up. Um, I don't think that's, I don't think that should be the automatic assumption at all. And I think once we finally do engage in a dialogue, I, I tend to believe they'll be fairly satisfied. I mean, as I said, this is sort of a fundamental aspect of professional sports anyway. Yeah. And I happen to find our group, you know, with Tyler and Paolo and, you know, all the leaders that I think are going to end up being union reps, I find our group to be exceedingly reasonable. So I don't foresee any significant, you know, we're not looking for a fight, basically. Sure. Well, I mean, obviously it's important that you're communicating that because there's just this natural, it's the way of, uh, it's the way of the world. There's this natural adversarial relationship between management and, and labor when it comes to uh, organizing. We've seen it, I've seen it across industries, not just uh, in sports, but it does. As you said, it comes with the territory in sports. And, and while I have a couple minutes here with you, Ted, I mean, this is obviously uh, your focus right now. But I know that uh, in your in terms of uh, of, of being an analyst or, or wearing your analyst hat, you you absolutely absolutely have some some thoughts on the way that the MLS CBA went down. Um, and, and since I have you here and, and you are an expert opinion, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Um, you know, I've read over your tweets and, and mostly what you said is it could have been worse. And, and this probably is a reasonable agreement because uh, uh, both sides have people that are not too happy about it. Um, in the way that, that it came down and, and some of the noise that you heard afterwards, are you still of that opinion? And uh, do you believe this is one of those agreements that, that won't uh, limit the, the growth of MLS? Will let it continue to go in the direction it's been going? I, I mean, look, you have to give something to get something, right? I mean, so the league gave, you know, historically, you know, uh, some form of limited free agency. So they gave in the area of, you know, player movement and they probably they were able to, you know, maintain a significant um, degree of cost certainty, whereas the players were able to give a little bit in the area of, 
you know, they weren't too aggressive on pushing the economics, then they achieved their at least some form of their number one goal in, in terms of enhancing player movement. And, you know, just right there, you're looking at that give and take is, is, is a good indicator that this was a, a reasonable compromise, you know? So, and then you add in the term, which, yeah, I tweeted that as well. That for me, that was critical. I mean, a five-year deal, mm-hmm. anything more than that would probably have been regrettable. Um, this is a relatively short deal. I, I mean, to give you some context, the, the NBA's deal is a 10-year deal with a six-year opt-out. The NHL deal is a 10-year deal with an eight-year opt-out. The NFL has a 10-year deal with no opt-out. Who can have anything for 10 years? <laughs> right. This, this five-year deal, is, right. it's not so bad. You know, you live to fight another day. And so, you know, I have been a little bit disappointed with some of the player discontent. I'm sure you saw um, Jorge Aranguera's piece from a couple of days ago. And I think his approach was kind of right. I think maybe some players, I don't know if there were unrealistic expectations or, or maybe there was just a lot of activism in the union right now, but I think players should be fairly satisfied, you know, and, and I think maybe that will, maybe they'll settle into that position, you know, in the next few months it, or years. It, it certainly seems like, and look, there always, there's always going to be a, a, a voice of dissent among a, a democratic body, and that's essentially what the union is. Um, but it does seem that, that maybe, you know, in, in MLS speci- specifically because of the way that it's growing, Ted, that, that maybe this is more philosophical. And certainly they set that up, that the, the free agency was not necessarily about money as much as it was about freedom of choice, and, and that's understandable. Soccer has that, whereas those other much more mature American sports, it really is just about money and freedom in, in terms of, of movement and, and getting the best deal. Um, at least that's the way it seems on the face, whereas soccer does have this push-pull of how do we run this league to make soccer big in America, are we all in this together? Are we not? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, obviously, the single entity structure creates, you know, a unique battle over free agency in our league. Um, but in different ways, that has been a significant battle in in you know the last few decades in other sports as well. For you know, I mean, let's not forget baseball had a had this historical antitrust exemption as well, and they didn't see free agency until the seventies. Right. So, I mean, every sport has its own kind of unique history. And at the same time, yes. I don't think what we see in soccer is all too different from the history of American you know, sports labor. Ted Filipakos, a professor at NYU, author of uh, an upcoming book, which I'm going to get in my, uh, the title here in a second on level terms, 10 legal battles that tested and shaped soccer in the modern era. Go to Amazon right now and pre-order the book. Uh, he's uh, also a player agent and obviously helping to, uh, helping to unionize USL players, uh, the focus of this discussion. Ted, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I apologize for me being a little rough. Like I said, we, we, we jumped straight into talking to you this morning, and it was an, an excellent way to start the show. Thank you so much. All right, you got it. Uh, there goes Ted Filipakos. Let's take a break. When we come back, it doesn't stop. Alejandro Bedoya, U.S. international winger for Nantes in this France, will join us talk to him about his season and the upcoming USA Summer. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning brought to you by World Soccer Talk. You're talking too loud But I can't hear you calling Hey there, it's Jason Davis and if you're like me and love playing fantasy soccer games, I want to let you know about a fantastic new game called Draft11.com This is not your usual fantasy soccer game. Draft11.com is different for two major reasons. First, it's a daily fantasy soccer game. And second, it gives you an opportunity to win cash. So instead of playing an entire season and competing against, say, the 3 million people who play Fantasy Premier League and winning nada, you can play Draft11.com over one match day against up to 10 people. And if your team wins, you win. Cash, not points. So go ahead and support our new sponsor that's helping bring Soccer Morning to you every single day. Head over to Draft11.com, sign up for a free account, and take a shot at trying to win some cold, hard cash. Thanks. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning on the line with me now from the training ground in France, Alejandro Bedoya from Nantes and the U.S. Men's National Team. Alejandro, how are you, man? Good, good. Thanks for having how, me again how, on the show. How's Just, tra- uh, like you said, out at the training ground before yeah. our second session of the day. Yeah, how's uh, how's training uh, in France? How's the what's the weather like? What's the what's the stress level when you're out there? I mean, is it easy going? Are you guys uh, feeling the rhythm at this point? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the weather is is amazing now. It's like in the mid 60s, so you know, perfect spring weather, I would say. Um, but on the soccer end of things, uh, I think uh, yeah, we we're in a a uh, difficult period, mm-hmm. and I think uh, everybody's uh, not panicking, but you know a little bit stressful. And um, you know, hopefully, we get a result this weekend, which will, will do a lot for the team's confidence. Do you, I got to know? Do you do the? They use Celsius in, in France, right? Because everybody else does. Do you do the conversion like automatically in your head now? <laughs> uh, no, I always uh, have to pull up uh, Google. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure you're. I'm sure you're like it's always a, changing. You know. Yeah, I'm sure you're adjusted to the Celsius scale. Anyway, the, the Americans who live over here and haven't been to Europe for very long, we, we we don't know how to do it. We have to do the math. All right, so 60s. That's that's got to be nice. As you said, things a little rough for for your club team right now. Um, last week, uh, what lost to Rem, and then uh, this coming uh, this coming week, home to Evian. What's the uh, you know what's the fix here? What how do you guys go about turning your your season around? You're mid table, that's good, but but you obviously want to play better. Well, yeah, I mean if you, if you look at the results recently in the 2015 now um, since the turn of the year, we we I think I'm not I think we've only had one win since I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, again like last year, we were lucky that we started off the season very strong. Uh, we finished the. The first half of the season and, and top near the top of the table, and but um, things have changed since. And you know, we, lately we've been just talking about going back to our core values, so to speak, in terms of being compact defensively and, and not letting in goals. But that, that hasn't been the case lately. Um, teams have been scoring on us, and you know that's kind of been our strength, uh, where we haven't been able to concede goals and we were able to get that one goal and. and and be able to win, the, you know, the close matches. But um, lately, that hasn't been the case. And you know, it's um, it's a young club, uh, young players, and and we don't really have that true goal scorer on our team, so to speak, that that can you know create a, a chance on the zone or um, score at will. And you know, that, that kind of hurts us. So it, it has to be a whole team effort. And you know, just like I said, back to our core values: defend well and then be able to break on the counter. And you know. Um, Get back to being able to score that one goal that that will get us a win. Well, you mentioned the the lack of a of elite striker, maybe a guy who can create. You, you, you obviously the the club's had a rough period off the field as well with with the transfer ban and everything. And you ultimately decided to sign a contract extension, I think, in February. Did did you think about you know did did any of the ban stuff come into play for you? I mean, obviously you're comfortable, you enjoy playing in France. I know you had other offers. What went into the thought process? No, my thought process was more about, you know, kind of secure in the future. I, I've liked it here. Uh, I think I've done well here. You know, the fans have taken a liking to me. It, it's a good club with, yeah, great fans, uh, a great training ground, um, great history, tradition, everything. Um, and like I said, I've enjoyed my time here. And Nantes is a good, nice little city. And uh, But also, like I said, it was about securing my future and, and knowing that, you know, I will have a long-term deal set um, financially for me and my family. Uh and also just, you know, have a peace of mind, so to speak. But um, we'll see what happens. You like your role there right now? I mean, uh, I know you've you've moved up and down the flank a little bit. I don't know exactly what kind of system you're running at the moment, but your responsibilities, your ability to get into the attack, and then whatever whatever defensive cover you're supposed to provide, you're, you're, those are all good things for you right now? Yeah, for me, the most important thing is that I'm playing, you know, most of the week in, week out. Um, Last week I played left mid. Uh, well, I came in as a sub. You know, a guy got injured 20 minutes in the game, and I, I came in first as a behind the striker, like a number 10. And then second half I switched out to to left mid. So I mean, that's just been my history here. Uh, been a versatile player. I've been used uh, on the right, defensive mid, attacking mid, uh, on the left. Um, so I mean, I'm happy that I'm playing. Yeah. Um, we play in kind of like a 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-1-1. You know, however you want to call it. And obviously, um, 
yeah, for me, it's important that I, I'm playing and, and getting games. But at the same time, I would like to, you know, have a a role, you know, that I play week in, week out all the time that I know kind of is my position that I set in stone. But, um, yeah, as long as I'm playing, I'm a happy guy. <laughs> I mean, certainly, um, the 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 number of Americans that we keep an eye on in Europe has has dropped a little bit with Michael Bradley coming to, back to MLS and obviously Josie this season, Clint here. And uh, do you feel? I mean, uh, there are some other guys out there, and and I don't want to uh, I don't want to forget anybody. There's certainly a good contingent of American players, guys you play with on the national team in Germany. But do you kind of feel like you're holding down the fort a little bit? I mean, certainly you're as as if I'm not mistaken, the only American in France. Uh, that's got to be interesting. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, but like you said, I, I feel like there are other players that that are playing. You know, I can name off the top of my head. You know, like Fabian Johnson, Timmy Chandler, you know, Jeff Cameron sometimes, and of course the goalies we have over here. But um, for me, as as the only American in France, yeah, I try to you know to to make a name for myself, and you know, making a name for myself makes a name for Americans, and maybe you know get more respect from them, and and hopefully it inspires even more young American players to come over and play in France because. It is a good league. Uh, with a lot, obviously now with the teams like PSG and Monaco, who have put a lot more money into it, and uh, you see the, the the championship now. You know, with teams like Lyon and Marseille, a, a young Lyon team, and Marseille at, towards the top of the table, fighting, challenging the PSG. It, it's it's getting stronger, and um, it is a good league for development. And I'm happy to to represent you know an Amer- the Americans here. Um, and hopefully PSU gets a good result tonight in the Champions League and be good for for the French League. Yeah, yeah. How does that how does that go? I mean, you you know, you guys are in eleventh. Uh, clearly, you want to be higher than that. Of course, you do. And and the recent results haven't gone your way, and you're trying to turn your season around. Meanwhile, PSG's in the Champions League. That's going to be good for Ligue 1. But you also have all that money that's coming into Paris. You have Monaco, who had a lot of money, sold some big names, is still competing at a high level. Is there a sense in France that this is a league that's of a you know haves and have nots, or do you feel like everybody can compete on a relatively good level? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, you look at the budgets of those clubs, and then the budget of what, uh, our club, which right now it's not even comparable. I mean, it's a, a huge gulf in in in, um, in cash that the other clubs have. But um, you see Lyon with, with a lot of young players. Of course, they they, they got a uh, a good club with, with strong, I'm sure, uh, money influx into the club. But I see it as uh, that's kind of normal. I think you you want that in the league. You want to have uh, clubs at the top that uh, that are kind of not like a dynasty, you say, but like that are very strong and have a lot of money, and, and that's what makes you more competitive as a player. No, you want to compete against the teams. Those are the games you look for the most, you know, uh, top, against top clubs. And, um, I mean, you're always going to have that, in. I feel like, in in the good league. You see that across the board, and, you know, in the Premier League. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the, the smaller clubs aren't. Obviously, I can't compete with the Arsenal or Man United or Man City's, Chelsea's of the world, but... It still makes it competitive, no? I, I know you love your home fans, but I got to ask you about going on the road in France. I mean, you you go to Parc de Prince, uh, and obviously PSG has a, a a reputation for having some rowdy fans. But then you go to Monaco, and, I, and I'm fascinated by by playing at Monaco with you know I don't know what their top attendance is. I know they don't draw a ton of people. It's not a big city. It, it is a reputation as a big club. How does that? How is those? How are those two things different? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, the atmosphere is crazy. You go to, well, like our stadium, you know, our fans are amazing and it's loud and sometimes you can't hear yourself. And then you go to a stadium like Monaco and, um, it's a golf class out there. <laughs> and, but, you know, it, it's tough to play in those games, actually. You know, you know, you have to try to get up for those games. And normally at, uh, stadiums that have a, a good attendance and, and good fans, you know, it gets you more hyped up pumped for the games but you go to a stadium like that you know it takes all the air out of it kind of and you're a little bit more lethargic maybe and you know the warm-up isn't going as isn't as intense as it normally would be so you have to be cautious of that as well but i mean yeah i mean monaco if you get paid all that money to go there and play that i'm sure you, you wouldn't care you wouldn't mind about have you, sp- have, you sp- right? have you spent any time not playing soccer in monaco have you actually visited 
I actually have not. No. Okay. Um, all right. So you can't tell us about the baccarat and all that. Okay. All right. Because I, I, you know, it's it's so fancy, <laughs> Alejandro. I don't know. I mean, it just must be an amazing place to visit. Um, I want to ask you about some things that have happened here on the stage recently. Um, you were on Twitter. You know, obviously, you know a ton of guys that are playing in MLS, um, lots of uh, international teammates, other guys you came up with through the systems here in the States. When when you see stuff like the CBA negotiations going on and, you know, players pushing for free agency, something that, you know, obviously European players and, and you yourself have and have had for a very long time, you know, how do you how do you view your role in sort of seeing what's happening and maybe commenting on what's happening and supporting guys that you know? Yeah, I feel like my role maybe uh, I'm a little bit uh, how do I say it? I uh, voice my opinions more maybe because I'm on the outside. I, I'm not in the league, you know. Um, I'm not so sure if I saw so many of the the league players, you know, voicing their strong opinions about what they really thought about it. But you know, as an outsider looking in, as a fan of the league as well, and then my teammates and 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 friends that are that play in the MLS. Uh, I just felt strongly about it that this was a really good chance to, to fight for what I think is right. You know, I mean, the league has its goals as well to be a top league in the world. I think it was mentioned by 2022, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt like those last CBA negotiations um, really stalled that effort. Um, I felt the players deserved a lot more. Um Obviously, when you're inside a room and, and things are getting heated up, I'm not saying it's easy, but at the same time, uh, I felt like beforehand it was agreed upon all the players and the people and the players union that, that they would fight really hard for what they really thought they deserved. And I think they fell very, very far from that, fell short of that. And yeah, uh, owners are owners, right? And you know they they can sit there and, and say that they're losing what is a hundred million dollars a year. They said they're they're still losing stuff. Um, that's what they say, of course. But then you see all the, the revenue stream coming in from all the new TV deals and and things like that. And as an owner, I mean, of a sports team, I mean, if you can't afford to lose money, then, then why would you even get into sports teams? You know, um, uh, for me, uh, <laughs> it was also fitting that you know they see they announced uh, the new outer Audi uh, sponsorship deal, uh, the new Eurosport deal, which yeah. right, I'm happy about because I was able to watch these weekend's games on there. But um, after, you know, the, the CBA negotiation was kind of done with, um, I just thought the players felt really short of what they were really trying to get and what the league could, what could have been done to, to improve the league, which yeah. is, um, you know, more... <laughs> I mean, I don't even think this is really free agency, if you want right. to call it that. Sure, absolutely. And there's certainly way, a way to look at it that it's not, that it's the, player, the owners controlling things the way they always have with a very limited uh, scope for players to pay. And again, there's a cap on how much they can earn when they move teams, so it's, it's really not free agency. Um, I, I know you... Yeah, right, and the minimum, you, you raise the minimum wage, uh, I mean, for these young players, uh, what, an extra $20,000 for about over 100 players probably in the league, correct? I mean, uh, yeah. what is that a cost? to the owners of the league in total, probably not even more than $3 million total. I mean, that's pennies for owners, right? Across the board. Um, that's not even that much, I don't think. And then you're hurting the middle tier players by not even raising the cap that much, which those are the type of players that are going to raise the quality of the league and make it that much better. Mm. And, right. and like you said, then you have a cap on the free, right. yeah. quote unquote, free agency right. players at 28 years old, eight years and, I mean, that kind of devalues those players and disrespects them and, uh, uh, from all their years served in the, in the league. Have you, have you had, I mean, uh, like I said, you, you signed a contract extension with Nantes in, in Jan- or, uh, February. Uh, congratulations on that, by the way. And, and obviously you're settled and, and you like where you're playing and you like the fans and, and, the, and the facilities and everything else. Um, have you had discussions before you decided to do that? Did you have discussions with MLS and, and were there barriers? Uh, certainly we've heard stories of players who have considered coming back, but you know, when it's a matter of, well, I can't pick where I, where I'm going, they hesitate. Yeah, there you go. Right then. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was rank, there was a little bit of uh, noise happening, you know, about certain clubs interested in that, that, my agent would talk about, um, but like you said, then, then they'd have to work out certain wrinkles and, and you know, so-and-so things would have to happen. And then, you know, they have a certain like 
after you know the three DPs. If you go to a team that already has three DP three DPs on their team, I mean they can only spend a certain amount. And you know, uh, is that really fair market value, or is that really what I'm trying to do? Mm-hmm. And then when you go up against you know the fact that I mean I'm enjoying myself in Europe. Uh, if I were to go back to the states, I'm never going to return to Europe again. Um, I feel like uh, yeah. Uh, for now, I enjoy my time here, and I'm trying to strive to get better. And you know, I, I still believe that I can make that one more jump into you know maybe a, a better league, a bigger team, and and, and keep improving. I'm going to close out with this. Uh, I'm going to make it a little bit lighter here and close out with this question from Robert on Twitter. Robert uh, C O R ten on Twitter, uh, and this is because the uh, spitting things in the news. He says, "Which is worse, a potential leg breaking tackle or being spit on? <laughs> Which one's worse, Alejandro, as a player?" Oh. Yeah, interesting. Uh, well, um, I think being spat on is probably the most disrespectful thing, you know, that somebody can do when they look at you in your eyes and, and spit at you in your face. Mm-hmm. But I would say that obviously a broken leg tackle would, would be worse. I mean, I've had it on the field where maybe I, I spit during a corner or stoppage or, you know, where the ball's gone out of bounds and the wind takes it or something accidentally <laughs> goes on my teammate or another player. It's happened to me, you know, the wind catches somebody's spits and it hits me, you know, and I'm like, whoa. So, um, I mean, it's not extremely terrible. A broken leg, that can finish your career. Absolutely, yeah. Done, you yeah. Know? So, yeah. Yeah, when uh, when your career's on the line, it's got to be the worst thing. Alejandro Bedoya, uh, midfielder for announcing in the U.S. men's national team. I didn't even get a chance to really ask you about this upcoming summer, Alejandro. But, uh, well, I'll do it very, very quickly. When you look at the schedule, and, and obviously there's a Gold Cup coming up, and, and, and you know, Jurgen's going to be making some choices, new guys are coming in. You know, how do you mentally prepare yourself? Are you even concerned about it right now? You're in the middle of a club season. I get that. Are you even thinking about the national team at the moment? Uh, no, actually, because I, I feel like I have more serious business to take care of here. Like, like I said, we talked about earlier about the difficult period in the club, and the goal is to, to get this club into a pretty, you know, good, safe, safe zone, you know. And obviously, that all depends on, on me playing here consistently and then playing well here. And if, if I'm on that Gold Cup team, yeah, moving forward. Yeah. A couple of friendlies coming up as well. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, Alejandro Adoy will be included in, in those teams. I expect you will. Uh, I know you won't be saying otherwise, or you won't be saying anything uh, about that, but uh, we'll see what Klinsman does. Alejandro, thank you very much for your time, man. Probably kept you longer than I should have. Uh, hopefully, uh, you'll have a fantastic rest of the season at Nantes, and we, we'll be watching. Thanks a lot, man. Oh, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Take care. There you go. Let's uh, take a break. Alejandro Bedoya, fantastic interview on Soccer Morning. We'll uh, come back. We'll open up the phone lines, 347-756-6276. Take your tweets as well. Let's do that. Uh, It's brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Be right back. Hey there, it's Jason Davis, and if you're like me and love playing fantasy soccer games, I want to let you know about a fantastic new game called Draft11.com. This is not your usual fantasy soccer game. Draft11.com is different for two major reasons. First, it's a daily fantasy soccer game, and second, it gives you an opportunity to win cash. So instead of playing an entire season and competing against, say, the 3 million people who play fantasy Premier League and winning nada... You can play Draft11.com over one match day against up to 10 people. And if your team wins, you win. Cash, not points. So go ahead and support our new sponsor that's helping bring Soccer Morning to you every single day. Head over to Draft11.com, sign up for a free account, and take a shot at trying to win some cold, hard cash. Thanks. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning. Very interesting Soccer Morning schedule-wise. We missed we missed the headlines today. Blame the pipe in the apartment above Trevor Hayward's apartment. Blame that pipe for bursting and ruining headlines. I feel like we should sue the people who let that pipe burst or who installed the... Can we can class action on the part of 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 soccer morning listeners a lawsuit? We need a lawyer. I think that's how 
we were robbed of 10 minutes of quality soccer discussion, whatever. Phone lines are open, 347-756-6276. I'm going to go quickly over the headlines I had written up for today right at this moment. Feel free to jump in whenever you want. We're also on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. Lots of of discussion there possible as well. If you're not able to get to a phone or you're hiding in your cubicle listening to this or uh, you're in your car. If you're in your car, don't call me. Just keep listening to the show because I, I don't want to be the responsible for any accidents because I just saw, you know, the stats are, are scary. No texting, no texting, no talking on the phone. Hands free, Trevor says, is okay. I'm not even sure. Yeah, okay, fine. Hands free is fine if you're within the law. But don't, yeah, don't, don't, yeah, whatever. Just be safe out there, people, first and foremost. Champions League action yesterday, Real Madrid. If you missed this game, and I know a lot of people work, you can't watch Champions League, I'm sorry. Because if you missed this Real Madrid-Schalke game, wow. The word is wow. Because Real Madrid loses the game at home in Madrid, 4-3, to wins the tie, is booed ahead of the game, is booed off the pitch, is they are embarrassed by their performance. Cristiano Ronaldo... Telling his teammates, this is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Clear as day. When they were coming, when the game ended, the whistle blew. Ronaldo and teammates started to come off the field. Iker, uh, Iker, Iker Casillas had to call them back to the center circle to applaud the fans who had supported them. Ronaldo wanted nothing to do with talking about the game. In the mix zone afterwards, he said, I'm not talking about this, and I'm not going to talk to the press again until the end of the season. He scored twice in that game, Trevor. Is that right? Both of them headers. Both of them fantastic goals. If not for him, you'd be looking at Schalke having pulled off the upset of upsets against Real Madrid, the defending Champions League winner. It was an amazing game. Back and forth. Crazy goals. Schalke played their butts off, and Real Madrid looks like a a, a time bomb. It's going to explode all over the place and make a giant mess of it. Ancelotti's out in the news talking about how poorly they play. They deserve all the criticism. It's not good in Madrid right now. And uh, it looks like La Liga may slip away. Now, again, they, they scored three goals. If Schalke was just a little bit tighter defensively, we might be looking at a different result and, and a real disaster. Is it a crisis in Madrid when you win, when you advance? Is it a crisis? We move on to the quarterfinals. Porto finished off Basel with a dominant performance, 4-0, uh, in uh, Portugal yesterday. Uh, the takeaway there, good good, good performance from, from Porto, obviously. Some great goals in that game. And Danilo, who uh, collided with the Basel keeper and was taken off on a stretcher, put on an ambulance, sent to the hospital. I need to get an update. I didn't get an update on his condition. Hopefully he's okay. It was scary. Out before he hit the ground. That's never good. You got two games today, second legs, should be excellent matchups. Bayern Munich, who went to Ukraine, couldn't score against Shakhtar Donetsk. Remember, Donetsk was playing hundreds of miles away from home because of the political and, uh, uh, political situation in Ukraine. The civil war that has, that started there. So they weren't even playing at home. They didn't even have the benefit of their home crowd. Not the same support they would normally get anyway. And yet they held Bayern Munich, German Giants, goalless. I don't think that's going to happen this time around the second leg. I think Bayern Munich will be fine. Hopefully, Shakhtar makes a game of it just for the uh, the casual, the neutral observer. Chelsea and PSG at Stamford Bridge, 1-1. Nothing between them there. Chelsea with the away goal. Can PSG beat Chelsea this time around? Can Zlatan pull out some magic? How delicious would it be? If Zlatan and PSG beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, how good would Jose Mourinho's post-game press conference be if that happened? Would it be the most amazing press conference in the history of football? It probably would be. I think I, I, think I want it to happen. Again, feel free to jump in anywhere here, 347-756-6276. Uh, the soccer swell. Any love for the FC Porto Basel matchup? Two of the best academies this planet has to offer. Prospects galore. 
We just obviously talked about it, but I, 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 the prospects and the academies definitely worth mentioning. And again, I refer to you to, to I refer you to plenty of talk out there about how difficult it is for clubs like Porto and Basel who aren't playing in top four or five European leagues, who don't have all of the money, who are forced to sell their best prospects before those prospects can really start making their mark and help them win titles on a European level. Porto may never be able to get back to 2004 again. I think that's a pretty safe bet. They've advanced. They're going on in the quarterfinals. We'll see what happens in that round, but more than likely they're never going to win another Champions League. And that's a little sad because you, you've just sucked all of any chance of, of even that second tier of teams. It, do we ever expect Ajax to win another European title? No, I don't. If you do, you're probably deluded. By the way, Hector Herrera. Woo! Mexico, be proud. That was a fantastic strike from him. A couple of uh, excellent things happening in that game. Flipping back and forth. I flipped over after it looked like Schalke was dead in the water, and then I flipped back, and they scored again, and Real Madrid was a disaster, and I was like, oh, i got to stick with that game. Watching two games at once is watching zero games, just so you know. Outgoing executive committee Theo Swansiger. Swansiger? Swansiger? Swansiger. Man, you can just come at me with that one. I, I don't have it. Swanziger says Qatar should be, or sorry, Qatar should be stripped of the 2022 World Cup. It's not going to happen. This is a bunch of noise. He is no longer an executive committee member. Why didn't he say it when he was? But okay. The best solution would be not to play in Qatar, or sorry, Qatar, and to rectify this wrong awarding, he told Bayern 2 radio station. But that can only happen if the report provides sufficient clues that the awarding broke FIFA ethics rules. That ship has sailed. FIFA has no legitimate reason, politically anyway, to go back through and, and, and really hammer Cutter for any sort of violations because everybody is violating the rules. You, you come down on Cutter, you come down on everybody, or you need to. That's the only way you can do that. And I just don't see that happening. Bad news for the Montreal Impact. Justin Mapp has been fantastic for them over the last couple of years. Out on the wing, cutting in on his left foot. Has had elbow surgery after his injury against DC United in the league opener. He'll be out for four months. Elbows are just crazy things. You mess with an elbow. That's, uh, that's not good. Even in a sport where you're only using your feet. Of course, that's uh, not true. And you need your elbow to play soccer. And he doesn't have a working one, so he'll be out for four months. Bad news. In fact, it makes me want to take Montreal off of my predicted playoff team list for 2015. And yes, I did have them on that list. Here's something fascinating coming out of Manchester. Falcao, remember, he's on loan from Monaco with an option for Manchester United to buy him. It's something he's valued at something like 43 million pounds. He's playing with the Manchester United U21s and apparently not doing a very good job of it. Bad reports coming out of Falcao's performance with the Manchester United U21s. What the hell has happened to Falcao? What did Louis van Gaal do to Falcao? Sad is what it is. Better than this. The Algarve Cup final today, United States and France. Remember, the United States coming off a disappointing goalless draw against Iceland. That back and forth between the Iceland manager and U.S. head coach Jill Ellis. Now they head into this game with an opportunity to pay France back for a loss last month in Lorient. But I don't know that anybody really has faith that the United States is going to get the job done today in the Algarve Cup. The U.S. U-17s also play today. They play Jamaica. A win, and they qualify for the U-17 World Cup later this year in Chile. That's in October, November. Uh, be nice to see the U.S. youth level youth level teams make every single World Cup possible. So uh, hopefully the U-17s will get the job done today. Lots of talent down at that level. Talent I'm not going to really talk about yet because that's what I do. I, the names are, we can mention the names, I suppose. Haji Wright and the crew. But I don't want I don't want to in depth uh, analyze their potential because they're still U seventeen. A player I don't have any problem analyzing, despite his young age, is Julian Green. 
News out this morning. Brian Sharetta on Twitter relating the words of Kicker, the the football magazine in Germany, said that Julian Green with the Hamburg U21s played mostly back passes, was lazy, didn't, uh, didn't seem to be making the effort. If that's true, that's troubling. I don't know why Kicker would lie about it. Certainly their assessments can be harsh at times. But if this is true, then uh, I, I'm, I'm worried, really worried about the future for, for Julian Green. A player who was perhaps pushed a little bit too hard, too fast, too high, too fast by Jurgen Klinsmann. A prospect at Bayern who had not played any, hadn't played in a higher, on a level higher than the fourth division of Germany. Being called into a World Cup squad. Put on the field, scored a goal. That's great. That's fantastic. He's obviously got talent. Talent is not the issue. Becoming a full professional and, and doing everything that it, that it takes to be a full professional is, is the issue for Julian Green. His continued development. And when we talk about continued development for these young players, especially the ones that were 18, 19, 20 years old, Juan Agadello falls into this mix as well. And I am a big fan of the skill set that Juan Agadello brings to the field every time he plays. When we talk about development, we're not just talking about his ability to read the game or, or kick a ball the right way or make a, a, a pass the correct way or his technique or his shot or his movement. That's not, just, that's not the only thing we're talking about. That's, that's a major part of it. Learning the game fully is a major part of development. But what's almost as if not more important is getting into the routine and putting in the effort and being... Being the type of professional that a coach can rely on day in and day out. Because you can't rely on a player who doesn't give a full effort. Because you never know when you're going to put him out there and he's not going to give a full effort. That's a troubling thing for Julian Green. If he's pissing people off at Hamburg, which he's clearly done. And he doesn't have a home at Bayern Munich because, let's face it, that team's stacked and there's nowhere he's going, no way he's going back there to play then what's the landing spot for Julian Green? What does Bayern Munich do with him? Is there a loan out there to his liking? Part of this, clearly, at least standing from this vantage point and looking at everything that's happened in Germany, is that Julian Green expected to go to Hamburg and play. And when he didn't, he got upset. Now, this happens all the time. Players get upset when they're not playing. They angle for a move. They look for a loan. Most of the time, those players are established players. You have a history on them. You know what they can do at the senior level. It's not the case for Julian Green. And he's not so much of a, of a phenomenon that he's going to have interest regardless of the issues he brings in attitude. And I don't want to paint the kid as a bad apple. I don't think he is. I hope he's not. But when you take all of these incidents together and you add them all up, what, we're, what we've got here is Julian Green teetering on a precipice between having an excellent career, a good career, meeting his potential, and falling straight off the cliff. I had a, t- I had a guy in my t- uh, timeline today on Twitter who compared him to Freddie Adu. Uh, he's not Freddie Adu. He's not. He's not even close to Freddie Adu. Not yet. I don't think he ever will be. But it tells you where people's thinking is on a player like Julian Green. Let's go back to, uh, let's go back to uh, the Champions League for a second. James on Twitter, Coach Jay Ballin. Man, that is a great last name. I don't know if you say it, Ballin, but I hope you do. You can't say a middle-tier team will never win the Champions League when just a decade ago Mourinho won it with Porto. My point, James, is that times they have a changed. Europe 10 years ago, when Mourinho took Porto and won the Champions League, is not Europe now. Europe now is much more dependent on cash. The only teams that jump up, and I don't, you can't call PSG a middle-tier team, even if you want to call France a second-tier league, just behind the big boys of Germany and England and Spain. Serie A, by the way, dropping into that second tier now. But that's it. That's the only way you can crack that, uh, crack the code now to win the Champions League is to have billions of dollars to throw at a project. Manchester City was a middle-tier team, lower-tier team in England until somebody walked in the door, 
Shake Mansoor, and started clocking checks. So when we're talking about middle tier, we're talking about within the big leagues, where money's going to flow. Because even if you have somebody with a lot of money stepping into a Portugal, a Belgium, a Netherlands, where else? Where else is even where else could even begin to imagine themselves competing? I mean, I can see Italy getting back on top and getting back into that top echelon and, and, and Juve going and winning the Champions League in the near future. I think that's possible. But that's not, we're going to call them middle tier. Trevor says Shakhtar have done pretty well. Shakhtar have done pretty well, but are they, are they close to winning a title? Could you imagine Shakhtar didn't ask lifting the Champions League trophy? I can't. Not as long as Barcelona and Real Madrid and PSG and Chelsea and Bayern Munich have all the money in the world, all the money they need to reload and reload and reload. So when we say a middle-tier team will never win it, but Porto did 10 years ago, 10 years is a long time. And in another 10 years, who knows what the landscape will be? Who knows if the Champions League is even the biggest competition on the planet in 10 years? Because while I think it would take a major disruptive step by one or two or three or 10 teams, it's, it's absolutely possible we could see a Super League in 10 years. That's the direction where, whether we actually ever get there, that's the direction we're headed. And once you have a Super League, what is the Champions League going to do? What, what's the point of the Champions League? The comp competition for the Super League? Okay. 347-756-6276 is the phone number. 347-756-6276 is the phone number. If you want to jump in, just a one or two minutes here left in the program if nobody wants to uh, chime in on anything we've talked about today. Thank you very much to, to Ted Filipakos for his thoughts on the USL unionization movement and Alejandro Bedoya from over in France. Uh, fantastic interview. Lots of excellent opinion. Look, the guy is knowledgeable. He knows what's going on here. Never played in MLS, but he knows exactly what's happening here. I, th I find that fascinating, encouraging for that matter. The Soccer Swell uh, on Twitter. Any opinion on Fox's initial coverage of MLS, Lawless's color commentary, etc. Um, I think Law I think Alexi and is going to get his feet under him over the course of the season. I think he's great right now. But I like I like Alexi's insight. I think he needs a, I think the energy level that he typically brings on a set is different than what he needs in a booth, and I'm sure he'll figure out where that balance is. But I think Fox is doing fine. I don't have any issues with Fox. I, fall, I saw Phil Shane, obviously a BN Sport, a guy who's covered MLS and, and called MLS games in the past, talking about the camera angles and getting things right in terms of direction for an MLS broadcast and how there's still a lot to learn. I, I don't doubt that he's right. I'm no TV production expert. But some of these things can't be helped. When you have limited, uh, when you have stadiums with limited camera angles available and the like. And some, a lot of these new stadiums are being designed with TV in mind. But when you have older stadiums, you have stadiums that, 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 that aren't. Sometimes it's difficult. But I think that, that, that soccer coverage in the United States is going to slowly improve. I, I really don't have an issue. So, the soccer swell. No particular problem with Fox. I think they're, they'll be fine. I don't know if we'll be extolling their virtues over the course of 2015. But I'm not going to be the one to complain unless something egregious happens. Unless they are egregiously missing calls. Unless they are egregiously failing to give us the right perspective. Eddie in Brooklyn, what's up? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Uh, I, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good? Yeah. Um, so I'm calling because I kind of have a bone to pick with the article I read yesterday. Oh, I, um, thought, you, I thought it was going to be with me, Eddie, because you always call with a bone to pick. <laughs> With me, and here I was yesterday, just pouring praise over Costa Rican football, and and I thought I thought, okay, wait a second, what could he possibly have a problem with with me today? But I'm glad it's not me. No, it's not you. I think it's uh, Ryan Rosenblatt. I think it's your boy. He's been oh, on the show before. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know that I call Ryan my boy. <laughs> well, you know, no, I, yeah, right. so anyway, I like um, I like Ryan. So he wrote, a, he wrote an article about Hector Herrera, right? Okay. And uh, basically, the premise was that he's the best midfielder in Concacaf. Okay. And I'm fine with that. Okay. That's, you know, that if, if somebody wants to debate that with me, 
I have no problem with it. Sure. The problem I had was in the article, he said that Celso Borges doesn't hold a candle for Hector Herrera. Okay. And that, to me, is when we start engaging in hyperbole. And that, to me, is somebody who I, I don't want to accuse him of this, but I will say not enough people truly pay attention to Celso Borges' game, and I highly doubt everybody's out there watching Deportivo La Coruña on a weekly sure. basis. Yeah, no, like, uh, who he plays for is a part of this. Uh, Hector but where he plays. Hector Herrera plays in, in Portugal, you know. True, but I mean, I, you know, I think, and, and you could certainly put uh, Deportivo La Coruña on the same sort of level as Porto when it comes to visibility within this part of the world, which obviously Ryan Roosevelt's a Californian. He's not, he's not partaking of these, uh, of these leagues from a European perspective. Um, you could put them on the same sort of level, but, you know, hey, you know, Porto's playing yesterday in the Champions League. They're destroying Basel. Hector is part yeah, of that. They, they, they Basel. They're destroying no, Basel. No, I, I, I realize that. I realize that. I'm not, not, not going to defend Ryan's statement that Cecil Borges can't hold a candle to Hector Herrera. You're obviously upset about it, Eddie. Um, but well, but yeah. I, I, think, I think more interesting to me is sort of how we, how we attempt to view these things. You can't even... I mean, you can compare them, but you've got different data sets, if you know what I mean. You've got a different sort of context to what Hector Herrera is doing with Porto, biggest club in Portugal, playing in the Champions League against Basel, yeah, but he's also done some excellent things in the Champions League before. And Cecil Borges, who's playing for what essentially is a, a, a second-tier, mid-table Spanish club. And, you know, when they're playing Celta Vigo, who's watching that? Yeah, that's the problem. Is like, well, Celta Vigo is actually a pretty good team, but again, no, but who's watching? Celta Vigo is like three or four teams. <laughs> I, but, I realize you know. that. I realize that. It's it's just. I think it's just. A, I think it's about. Go ahead. You know what? You rep Costa Rica as hard as you do. I love it, but I don't know the 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 hyperbole. I, I can see taking issue with it, but I but I would say that Hector is the best Concap midfielder right now. No, I have I have no problem with. It. Like I said, if that's the argument that wants to be made, I'm fine with that. It's the hyperbole. It's people acting like they they know. What Celso Borges' game is, for example, <clears throat> you know, I work it out there, so I'm all about the numbers. Uh, Celso Borges, in the six games that he's played in La Liga, he's dispossessed and has an unsuccessful first touch that leads to a loss in possession less than one time a match. Hector Herrera's averages in seven Champions League games is more than four matches. Okay, okay. Well, but, but so, again, that, is, that, is that a difference in the way that they play? And, and this is, but this is the, this is what, this is what I love about this sport, Eddie. Two different people watching two watching the same game come away with different conclusions. Now, you know it's easier to it's obviously easier to assess performance if you have the whole picture, all twenty two players being visible at the same time, seeing movement. But even then, your eyes gonna be drawn to the ball. You're missing things off the ball on television. It's nearly impossible to get a proper assessment of how somebody played. And, and we all watch these games and we all make we draw our conclusions. So and so was excellent. We don't say he was okay. He was good. Because we're required to go all the way to the, the fullest extent, to be extreme in our opinions. He was excellent. He was a disaster. Gareth Bale was a disaster for, for Madrid yesterday. That's like a universal opinion. If we, if I went back and watched that game for, you know, a full 90 minutes, if you did, and you have a better analytical, analytical eye than, uh, than I do, you might find that he was not great, but he wasn't a disaster. You know what I'm saying? It's one, two, three yeah. moments that we lock into. And I think that that might be the case here. And, you know, again, Costa Rican football is doing good, Eddie. Just, you know, be happy, man. No, I am, but, you know, <laughs> sometimes you feel like you don't get enough respect when you, you read a comment like you that. Like I said, I don't, I don't have a problem with the premise. I only had a problem with the hyperbole. All right, I appreciate it. You, your, your complaint has been lodged. We will uh, send it over to, to Ryan Rosenblatt let him know, Eddie. Appreciate it, man. All right, man. Have a good one. There you go. 607, you're on the air. Who's this? No, this, uh, hey, Jason, this is Alex in uh, Binghamton. What's uh, up? I I just want to say, I can't be the only one who thinks that Julian Green is a little cocky punk. I, it's, it's, it's frustrating to hear these stories but, but how, coming out of wh- Germany. Okay, look. That he, he's refusing to play. And- yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you for the most part, Alex, because I, I sort of line, line that up. That the, the stories all kind of come together and create that impression. But I'm not there. I'm not seeing on the field. I'm not, I don't know what he was promised. I don't know what, you know, I don't know how he feels about the way Hamburg has treated him. Um, I can't say because I've never seen it. I can't say he's a cocky punk. I can't do it. I can say it looks like that. I can say that's the impression we're going to get through the news. But how do we know that all of those are unbiased opinions? Nah, true. 
I well, I gotta say, on his Instagram, he looks like a perfect little church boy. And then you hear you hear this coming out. He doesn't want to play, and it's it's I don't know. Fuck, I, I just, I, it's I, frustrating as the work because he's got so much hype around. Yeah, you him. know, you want to see a guy like that succeed. And we obviously need to back off the hype. Thank, thanks a lot. In fact, I think the best yeah. thing for uh, thanks for the call. I think the best thing for Klinsman to do is to leave him out of the national team for a while. You know, he he's young enough to play in the Olympics. Maybe that's where he needs to be, and maybe that's the plan right now. I don't know if there's a plan for him at the senior level. He needs less hype, not more. He needs less attention, not the same level that he was getting in 2014 because he was this golden child plucked from Germany, American dad pushing hard for him to pick the U.S., shows up at the World Cup, makes that team to the shock of everybody at the expense of Landon Donovan. Remember, that was part of the story. Donovan doesn't make it. Julian Green does. Shows up in the last, what, couple of minutes of the tournament for the United States and scores a goal. Fine, but that that's all. And I, maybe I'm adding to it by talking about him, but I, I just think it's important to sort of give everybody a, an update on where he is because Klinsman pushed him upon us. Let's see what happens. I hope I hope the best for Julian Green. I really do. All right. Again, uh, thanks very much to, to Ted Filipakos and Alejandro Wadoya for guesting on this show. <coughs> Excuse me. Make sure you go check out Draft11.com, guys. They're supporting the show. Um, we're very happy to have them on board as a sponsor. Go check it out. Daily Fantasy Soccer, where you can win cash. Can't go wrong with that. Uh, go get a mug at uh, backheel.com slash store. Go get a t-shirt at 3nilfc.com. It's good stuff there. Uh, you can follow the show at Soccer Morning. You can follow me at DavisJSN. And uh, follow Trevor Hayward as well. Maybe he'll give you pipe updates. Like, uh, pipe burst, day one, water pouring from the ceiling, show delayed, no headlines. That, that, that would have been lovely. We could all gotten there. Like, I don't know why you'd be tweeting in like short burst Morse code type <laughs> telegraph type sentences, but Hey, all right, that's going to do it for us. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Brad Guzon on tomorrow's show. Don't miss that. We'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.